So since Ricardo is our new special guest, he's going to kick us off with that word of the podcast. What is it, Ricardo? Shell. Shell? Oh, why is that? I have a little seashell in my desk, and you asked for a word, and I gave you the first word I found. Oh, wow. Wow. That's a good word. I was thinking Shell the company. Again, joining us today is Abrar Chowdhury and Ricardo Gonzalez. This is Abrar's like 10,000th time on the podcast. Um, Probably. Yeah, we should just get a plaque, Abrar Chowdhury, honorary Mango Time podcast dude. And then we have again Ricardo, Ricardo. We are here to discuss what I see is one of the greatest television shows ever made, um, Avatar The Last Airbender with some of the greatest characters ever developed. First question, actually, I think for all of us, um, is how did you how did you come to know about the show? Some of us came to know about it at the age of five, and some of us came to know about it at the age of uh, 20. T- 20, 20, 20, yeah. Um, but how did y'all come to know about the show? I guess just watching it on Nickelodeon as a kid, those episodes would pop up. And as I was re-watching it just a couple of weeks ago, I was surprised that I knew a lot of the episodes. Hmm, yeah, you remember them. With other series, when you go back and rewatch it, there's a lot of new content that you, like, missed as a kid or whatever, but I remembered a lot of Avatar. So, uh, obviously, it got on Netflix, so everybody was talking about it on social media and stuff, and honestly, I wasn't planning on watching it because, like, my perception of it was it's just a kid's show, which there's nothing wrong with kid's shows. I just chose, at that time, I chose not to watch it, but then Neil texted me and he gave his personal recommendation. And I was like, you know what? At this point, I think it's worth giving it a shot. So um, he mentioned how there's going to be a podcast over it. So I was like, you know what? I'll watch it. And yeah, I flew right through it. Like it was it was genuinely really good. Yeah, I, I, uh, I think Ricky and I both watched it on its original run. Yeah, and I was same thing in Nickelodeon. I think I watched like the very first episode on its premiere with my mom. when I was like, yeah, yeah when I was like five. We just like, and that's the strangest thing was like, we just happened on it. Um, and we watched The Boy in the Iceberg. And um, I think my mom connected to it because a lot of, again, from the get go, a lot of things are taken from different cultures. Like, this, this show is, I think, a celebration of just culture and global culture. And it's, it fuses a lot of different things together. Um, but, like, for example, the, the five elements. Um, uh, the five classical elements of Hinduism and Buddhism are earth, air, water, and either. But that's the thing what caught my mom's attention from the very beginning was, again, just, like, just the introduction itself. Um, and that's why my mom connected to it, and then I connected to it because it was, at that time, again, just a, a fun show. And frankly, the first show that I cared about the story. But... At what point I think were y'all hooked onto the show? Um, for me, I think the first couple episodes, maybe two or three, I was kind of like, I was purely watching it just to watch it. I wasn't hooked on it. I, I don't remember the exact episode, but I think it was once Aang showed like more complex feelings about like feeling guilt about leaving and stuff. I think for me that was when it was it for me. I was like, wow, this this children's show about a literal kid 
and they're having like legitimate like characterization and everything that was really cool and i was like okay now i'm really excited to see where he goes with this right there's two more seasons left three more seasons left because it was at the beginning of the first season and you know this kid ang he's like that, that for me that was it like just the amount of character he had like they're tackling complex issues in a um in like a different medium that you, or in a medium you didn't expect them to tackle those yeah it, it was like it was the definition of a kid's show because it was 20 minutes long it was nickelodeon it was animated it like the but which by the way the animation was great too I, and i was like but the story is like really good from the get-go i mean i guess as a kid i also i always like like the show and so whenever it was on i'd watch it mm -hmm. and when it's on tv and whatever it's not like necessarily in any order or it's not chronological right right and as i was re-watching it i guess i was more hooked on in terms that i had to keep binging it around book two book one is kind of more i guess all over the place not all over the place but like it's not as focused there's a lot more, yeah, it's a lot more side quests. Right, right. That's actually... I think, was was the purpose of that, like, for me, like, that's, I, I had the same thought, too. I was confused, I was like, okay, he needs to go to the Northern Water Tribe. Why is he going to this other island? Why is he going to this other place? Like, what is the point of this? He has a flying bison, just go straight north. But I, from what I took from that, it's like when I thought about it, was that they were trying to build the world early on. Mm which is something like by season three or end of season two, I was like, okay, the world building in this show is incredibly good. I right. cannot name like modern shows right now that have as good world building as this literal animated children's show. Uh, but for me, like early on when they were doing that, flying all over the place, I thought for me at least they were building the world. Like they were trying to show you like, trying to set the whole joke about how the animals in this world are just two animals put together, <laughs> right? Like, I thought, I, for me, that's what I took it as. What you say about the first one kind of being all over the place, and I don't say that's a bad thing. I don't think that's messy. Oh, I think that, yeah, I think that was, like, the way they the way they built the world from the first episode itself was brilliant. From the first introduction, like, honestly speaking, now when I watch the introduction, like, every time I watch that introduction, the first episode's introduction, it gets me rather, like, emotional. Because it, it gets you emotional and, like, hyped for what's to come. Um, yeah. And I think it's a brilliant, brilliant setup. And I think when I was hooked, hooked would possibly be um, the Siege of the North. Yeah. Like that was some of the, I think when I, when, I, when I watched it, I was like, holy crap, the show's like great. Of course, crap wasn't in like my vernacular as a five-year-old, but I was like, this is like really, really cool. And of course, the spirit world freaked me out for years as a kid. That shit was just freaky as fuck. Um, but it was around the Siege of the North where I was, I was absolutely hooked. And again, I haven't memorized the titles yet. Could you uh, explain what happened? Around yeah. That? The Siege of the North is a book one finale. Oh, okay, okay. It's a two parter. Yeah. And when mm -hmm. uh, Sokka loses his girlfriend to the moon or the moon, yes, she becomes that was, the moon. I remember that. that. That goes again to more like great characters, right? Like the, like the amount of characterization that was there in, two episodes the fact that i felt really bad for mm -hmm. what was her name ua right yeah princess ua and then uh the water bending master like the whole story about like how he was um Sokka, Sokka's and katara's grandmother's like husband and she left like that was in two episodes 20 minute episodes i mean not husband but more like uh 
possible. Oh, like they were supposed yeah. to be together, and then she left, and then they ended up being together anyway in the end, which, like, again, like, that's insane yeah. in the first season. What about the show stuck out the most to y'all? Because I know, Abrar, you talk about it being, like, a children's show. Um, uh, but yeah, like, like I, I feel like I'm bringing the perspective of someone who's, like, doesn't have any nostalgic ties to it. I'm seeing right. it as a 20-year-old mm-hmm. who watches, like, other shows and I'm not seeing it as like a kid who watches children's shows. So like, yeah, I, I want to keep bringing up how it's a children's show because I feel like I'm comparing it to more mature shows and it's still holding up. Oh, for sure. For sure. It is, it has a lot of mature elements told in a children's medium where mm-hmm. children can learn a lot about the show, like a lot of values from the show. Um, oh yeah. And I, I remember around book three, I would just DVR the, the show and, and I'd watch it and then my mom wouldn't watch it with me then my mom would watch it like by herself to catch up so I think that's how much like it's uh, had an impact on just various age groups but mm-hmm. what what stuck out to you Ricky about the show the most like what I think what what thing could you pinpoint as its greatness it's the world building mm-hmm. I agree I don't know all the nations the creatures yeah and I, I was watching um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon yesterday. I don't know if y'all got my text about... Mm-hmm. Um, th- that also kind of freaked me out. I was like, wait, the the director's name is Ang Lee, and the creators credit that movie. And from, like, the first three frames, I just saw Airbender. I was like, wait a second. Like, I, I legit saw Bossing Say in in the city. And they, they, they're, like, straight episodes pulled from that film. Like... Not directly, and they're not ripping it off, but like influences, like the whole um, being lost in the desert, and they they have a, a character exactly like like Toph. Um, so I think again, it was a fusion of a lot of different ideas put together, and sometimes that can be messy, but they did it so well that I think that's why it connects with everybody. Is just that it's like a cultural fusion of the world, and it's a show that celebrates the world. What what impact do y'all think this show had on children's and American television? That okay. So one thing I want to say is honestly, I didn't realize that this was Nickelodeon at first. I thought it was a legit like anime, like Dragon Ball or like Yu Gi Oh or something, and it was just like English dub. So the entire time until I think at the end of season three, I thought it was a Japanese show, until my brother told me that no, it's not. It's it, it was all Amer- it's an American cast, American directors. It's right. literally Nickelodeon. And it blew my mind about how for so long I was I let I was led to believe that it wasn't Americans writing this. Um, the, the fact that they were able to nail different cultures so well, um, it, it really is a testament to the show because I feel like they're like the whole there could be a whole story around or a whole podcast around how they were able to show culture as far as, you know, like water bending and then how that affected Southern water tribe culture versus Northern water tribe culture. Um, and then versus like how the earth uh, nation was very different from the fire nation, the fire nation they had, they became industrialized because they were able to control fire. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to walls were such a huge deal in earth bending nation. Right. Like it, that right, right. subtle things like that were like I caught on now because I feel like I'm watching it as a 20 year old but I feel like that stuff really sticks with you even as a kid whether it's subconscious or not and mm-hmm. that's it was really cool that they were able to do that what you were mentioning about you thinking it was a Japanese show I think it 
was an introduction for many into the anime medium mm-hmm. because it being on an American TV show, I guess, puts that style out for a generation to watch. Right. In a way, kind of like you have that, and then you have Pokemon, and then Yu-Gi-Oh, and then from there you start going into, I guess, more right. the deep stuff. Anime. Yeah, and this is how I got um, Rohe Barcello, our, our mutual friend, into Avatar. He's right now into book two. Um, but I had basically said that they had gotten a lot of the, their influences from anime. And I think in the goal of doing something like that with American television, and also like props to Nickelodeon for you know, taking on a project like this, because Nickelodeon hasn't pumped out something like this since that show. I think props to like also the network for picking up an idea like this and putting it on, because now that I'm looking back at, back, at, I'm back at it, I'm thinking like, what made them want to carry this story forward and bring it on to their network? Um, from like I think a studio perspective. For me, it felt like when I was watching it, I was finally watching a show that celebrated my culture. And I think people could see that with their show also. And that's why it was a big deal for me because, you know, growing up, there's a lot of like, oh, well, you're, you're Hindu. You're, there's only, there isn't, you know, 10, like these, there aren't these many gods. There's only one god. So it's like a conflict of like religion. And um, growing up kind of not, kind of being, I think, told that your culture is wrong um for for some time it was refreshing to just you know sit down on the couch and watch a show that celebrated my culture and celebrated others cultures and fuse that together and i think that's why it was it was a big deal for me and i think it was a big deal for a lot of people because it's i don't want to say it's everything because that's kind of like diminishing the quality of the show but it, it celebrates the world like i've said um and that's what i think stuck out to me and that's the impact it had on American television saying like you can do more you can tell great stories and you know pull your influences from different um different parts of the world we've seen so many people talk about this show lately and like a brother said you came to it as a 20 year old um what about the show do y'all think connects with you know so many different age groups and people straight up just the story being so good um i think anyone can appreciate a good story no matter how it's told um any age or whatever that may be and i think even as kids even if you don't know what a good story might be if you, if you don't know like store good story elements you still just subconsciously know like this is a good story i want to keep watching this um and then as you get older you might be able to pick up on more things um like like the whole animal thing as a kid, I would just be like, oh, that's cool, you know, um, like a saber-toothed mammoth or whatever that thing was, right? That was just a really cool thing. But here, you know, like as an, as an adult, I see it as they, were able, they did that so that no one had to waste time thinking about what this animal was. You would just know right away. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm thinking of like other fantasy worlds where they have brand new names for everything, brand new, like monsters and all that stuff right like i'm thinking of the witcher which is a show that came out recently mm-hmm. um it was there was a certain learning curve because when they said an animal's name and it was something brand new and it was a brand new animal or monster you had to think about it versus in this show they just they whatever animal they said you kind of knew right away right, right. um because you just had to put two animals you knew together yeah which was uh 
And then that's like a story element that as a kid, you just liked it. But as an adult, you could analyze it and be like, that was really smart. Yeah. For the younger age groups, it's a fun show. It has comedy, action, you know. And the characters in the show are all from 12 to 16, right? Right. And so you get that feeling of relation. But then looking at it when you're older, you see that these are great characters that have a large potential to resonate within a lot of viewers. Zuko didn't have a good relationship with his dad. Katara didn't have her mom. Um, mm-hmm. Aang didn't have his people and he felt alone, but he found a new family. Right. Just the characters are really well developed and I feel like I didn't appreciate that as much as a kid. Mm-hmm. But going back and watching it, it's like mind blowing that this was a kid show. Yeah, yeah, and I think yeah, yeah, Zuko has one of the best character developments in television. Like, For sure. and, and not just that Zuko, but I think everybody like you. You see the characters they are in the first episode. By the way, seeing Zuko the way he is at the end of book three, and then going back to book one, seeing how intense he is, it's it's hilarious. Yeah. It's so funny. Um, but it, the show, and I think a. It's a testament to the right writing and the writers and the creators is that the characters are people that I connected with as a kid, and then when the show was over within three books, you felt a little bit empty. You're like, oh, I, I miss being in this in this world. And then you start looking into the lore and like all these comics they're making. Um, they're very well written. I think that's that might sound like an obvious statement, but each character, I, I can't think of one character I dislike. And if you dislike Azula, if you dislike Ozides because in some sense the writers have done their job. What were some of y'all's favorite characters and why? And then what, what, who did y'all see as smart characters? And smart can be on both the bad and the good side. Zuko's my favorite character because like you said, he had the best um, character development. But it's also because in my opinion, it was, the mo- it was really realistic character development. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of times in shows and I've seen this and movies too where a character turns good turns bad or turns something else but it's a complete 180 but it, and it makes no sense with Zuko it was a 180 but the transition made complete sense he didn't just go from a bad guy to a good guy because there were things about him that stayed the same stuff like about his like his drive and his passion and all that stuff stayed the same his um transition to a good guy or to Aang's team for me made sense he originally was quote-unquote a bad guy he was hunting down the avatar because he wanted validation he wanted recognition he wanted to have his honor back that doesn't change at the end right he's still he's um ends up being the fire lord he looks for validation from instead of from his father from his uncle right um the main things about his character stays the same because in in my opinion like someone's personality can't do a complete 180 and i feel like zuko's personality stays the same he just develops and grows and he realizes and uh, sees things more clearly and then the reason why um azula is my least favorite and i don't hate her um but i dislike her not because i'm supposed to dislike her i dislike her from a character's point of view because i feel like she wasn't given the same sort of treatment as a lot of the other characters as far as making her seem human um the whole thing where she went crazy at the end from like with the power and all that stuff 
I didn't, at least this is me personally, I didn't feel for her. I, I didn't feel like she was human. Right. I felt like the entire time she was crazy from the moment she was a, a little girl in the flashback, right? Uh, where um, she was l uh, little with Zuko and then their mom and everything to the end where she was, you know, supposed to be Fire Lord and everything. I always thought she wasn't necessarily as strong of a character like as You felt that other. like she was her father's daughter. Yeah, and, I, and then that, that also goes with her father, Ozai, he also wasn't given much character development. He was just a stereotypical bad guy. He wants to destroy the world, burn it to ashes. And like, that's like the typical bad guy spiel, right? Like burn the world and rebuild on its ashes. Mark Hamill. Uh, yeah. What? He's, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he's yeah. voiced so, by Mark Hamill. Yeah. Yeah. No, I had to do so, talking about. Star Wars. No, sorry, sorry. That was a random plug. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like Azula and Ozai were like the stereotypical crazy bad guys versus Zuko was like a bad guy who was given a genuine change yeah and if anything i think the real villain who had more development and you kind of like not saw things his way but you understood his reason was sozin like he you understood why not like he wanted to do things the grandfather, like, it, it right? wasn't it wasn't right yeah it wasn't right the great-grandfather wasn't right but like okay. you still get his take on it like the oh, a the, like the, a Thanos the first type. guy yeah he wanted to do it for peace and everything right like he wanted to spread yeah, i don't know what, what ricky he what's your take on it yeah, he wanted to spread uh, the fire nation's prosperity to the rest of the world. When you saw at the um, the Avatar and the Fire Lord, I think that was the episode title. Uh, were you like, okay, Sozin's a villain at least I can get on board with, and he's not like your cookie cutter villain. Yeah, I think that was one of my favorite episodes because you got to walk back and see how the entire show got to where it is. Basically, I agree that Osai is a more one-dimensional villain mm -hmm. but i have to disagree with azula i think she is a good character you see that with both azula and zuko they both walk to their dad for acceptance right. or i don't know validation that they are good that they have their honor they mm -hmm. just happen to go a different route <laughs> zuko ends up from the scenes you see from his childhood he is more caring. He is more compassionate. You see with the turtle box, you see when he speaks out to try to send his mm -hmm. soldiers at the meeting. Right. You see he surrenders to his dad at the Agni I think that's what split Azula and Zuko. Azula wanted that validation so far as to lose herself for it. Whereas Zuko, although he did grow colder than he did at his childhood during his hunt for the Avatar, he eventually got back to where he was through his growth and his development. Who would you say then was your favorite character? I think it'd be Zuko. Zuko? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I think his core in some sense stays the same. I think that's what it is yeah. about people in general. Your core stays the same no matter what. It just It's how you grow and it's how you develop. And mm -hmm. I think that scene with May in the Boiling Rock when they're in the prison where he says... Um, She's like, you're betraying your country. He's like, that's not how I see it. Defines his entire, not his entire character, but his motives. Uh, that he cares about the Fire Nation. No matter what, he still cares about the Fire Nation. He just mm -hmm. feels like near the end that they could do better. And he sees things a lot more clear. Uh, and I think my favorite character, I think this, for me, it's Iroh. I, 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 love, I love Uncle Iroh. I think he's like the wisdom that every character needs. And he himself isn't your like like you see the good guy part of him right but you don't see who he was before the show and that was he was working for the fire nation 
You know, I mean, he still is, but he was like one of the top people of the Fire Nation. He was, you know, committing heinous crimes. And if you see, the people he teams up with are in some sense the same people who kill his son. Mm. I mean, you think about yeah. it, like his son yeah. dies on the battlefield against people he was putting, you know, he was warring against, and now he's fighting for those people. Yeah. And that was a very interesting thing that I, I saw about the character. He's like, he's not just your cookie cutter, I'm here for you, uncle. He's has a lot of wisdom, and this wisdom comes from pain, and the pain he's he himself has suffered. And that's why mm-hmm. I, I love Iroh. And I think the best written villain for me was Azula. I, there were just moments where she'd just be roasting people, like whenever uh, the Dai Li, or not the Dai Li, or the head of the Dai Li, um, mm-hmm. basically... He's, he says something along the lines of, like, I've been beaten at my own game. And she's like, I never saw you as, like, a competitor. <laughs> like, you straight up roast yeah, him. Player. Yeah, like, he's a very, very smart, cunning villain. And that was something that, like, I appreciated. And, and like, when it came to Ozai, even as an eight-year-old watching the finale, it didn't feel like, like, they... It, it, and when he died, it didn't feel like a big, big thing for some reason. Like, like yeah, yeah it's, it's over and stuff like that. But then it was more like, oh, that's it. Like, yeah, he can throw a bunch of flaming rocks at you. But that, that's about it. Versus if it was the Azula versus Yugo and Katara, that was a huge fight. And I thought that was brilliantly animated and, and just choreographed. I think Ozai was supposed to be this kind of scary, mysterious villain that you mm. didn't learn a lot about. But because he's waging the war because he's willing to burn the world down. That's where the stakes are. There's not necessarily any emotional stakes in it. That, that is that is true. That is that is true. Like, he's clouded in darkness for the first two seasons. And right. then he's shown. He's, like Azula, is fueled just by, not, yeah, by possibly pure evil. Um, in the end of the day, like, there are moments where you're like, okay, there's there's something driving Azula and and she had, she discusses a little bit of it at that campfire scene and then she just immediately passes it over, um, and she also sees that like after the boiling rock I think the boiling rock was a tipping point once her friends betray her she just like goes completely yeah. just like kind Mental. of yeah starts seeing things and gets a little um, on, on the edge and very paranoid just starts firing people left right and center no. Uh, Pun intended, firing. <laughs> uh, in terms of the characters, I, I loved Iroh and love hate Azula. Uh, one one thing that I want to say about Iroh is I think he's the character. Like okay, so, so uh, before I watched the show, I obviously saw a lot on social media, on Twitter and stuff. The character that I saw the most about was Uncle Iroh, mm-hmm. and honestly, my perception was was that he was the main character. Um, not Aang. I thought I like that's how I saw it because so many people would talk about Uncle Iroh versus I saw very little about Aang, right? Mm-hmm. So when I watched the show, oh, um, okay. when I watched the show, I was honestly expecting to see a lot from Uncle Iroh, like a lot more screen time. I was expecting to see a lot more character development. So, like, this is coming from the perspective of someone who watched it with right. preconceived opinions. I was kind of let down. In the sense that I was, I wanted to see a lot more because he was such a good character. I wanted him to have more screen time, um, but he was overall just a really cool character. Like everything, like it, the whole time he was on screen, I was like attached to what he was saying. How how disappointed were you whenever Zuko gave him an order and he's like, "All right, but after I eat this fried duck, 
No, no, no. Like I, I liked the character. Like I had no problem with the character. I just wish he had more screen time. No, but yeah, like his, his whole thing with tea and like food and everything. That was I really enjoyed all. And the white and the the brilliance behind the white lotus. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That is like that is. I feel like that goes towards whole the whole world building thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like you didn't have to know anything about the white lotus stuff like anything that happened at the end but when you first saw it for the first time with the whole secret society stuff like you could tell right away like this is gonna be a set piece that comes back later like i feel like that was that goes towards you know like world building that was that was really cool Mm. yeah for sure favorite scenes was iroh's second season bossing play with the white lotus oh man that was brilliant oh yeah, that I didn't notice that. That was that was that's like a really cool juxtaposition. That's all this man wants to do is sell his tea in bossing Sing. Yeah. That's all he wants, okay? Like that's, and pay, and play Pai Show every single day. That's all he needs. Just give him that. Like the thing once he burned the flag of the Fire Nation at the Earth Kingdom. Wow, yeah. He went to his tea shop and made himself a cup. Hmm. Hmm. That's Are you good. saying that that happened or? I'd like to think that happened. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, you know what it probably did and and i think when you say when he burned the fire nation flag that itself was it like like the way he Very looks symbolic. at it yeah i was like oh man i can go on for days like this show's so brilliantly made and i think again like abrari said for me again it's it's a revolution in just television and that genre and animation and saying the animation can just be more than just satire like family guy or the simpsons or just a children's show yeah, I had no reason to be that good either. Like, it could have been very <laughs> mediocre, and kids would have, like, enjoyed it, and it would have done well enough rating-wise. But it had absolutely no reason to be as timeless as it is. And I think that's a testament to, you know, Star Wars sequel trilogy take notes. They had a roadmap. They had an idea of what mm. they wanted this thing to be from the very beginning. Like, every yeah, episode, absolutely. they don't waste time. Like, they knew Zuko was going to be a firebending teacher. The White Lotus is mentioned from the first couple of episodes. Yeah 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 the first episode itself i'm just like oh they almost set up or they practically set up everything even with toff like whenever he sees toff in the swamp and it's Mm -hmm. vision like they set up everything and that's where i think we get into legend of korra i'm not sure if they did (laughs) they might might have taken that show by case by case basis i think the thing about legend of korra is it was more season arcs instead of like a right ran series art mm-hmm. so like you didn't care as much in some so, but that that's a thing is i feel like now with shows and the way they get pitched and everything it has to be a season arc there has to be a clear end to each season right yeah. um, or else or else like the studio is just going to be like no we need we need a more clear thing we need to know if in the first season people like it so we cancel it or continue it um versus with I don't know how it went down with Avatar, but like you talked about this earlier, Neil, is like, how was this pitched? How could they have like said this? Like the Nickelodeon was pretty revolutionary. Like like you mentioned this earlier. Mm-hmm. That was pretty cool. You can't stop at book one because the story's not done. You can't stop no at way, book yeah. two because the story's not done. Whereas I feel like in The Legend of Korra, you could stop at any season finale and... It'd be done. It'd be okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was binging it, and I did not even notice the transitions from season to season. Like I like it, like when it happened, and I was like 
season two, episode three. I was like, wait, when did season two yeah. start? Like, it just all <laughs> flowed together so well. Like, it was meant to be binged. Like, that's crazy. And when did the show come out? Like, early 2000s? 2005 to 8. Uh, 2005. And it was, it, it, it can be binged right now. Like, it, yeah. like, in the whole culture of, like, shows being binged a 2005 show gave me yeah. the same effect. And and that's the thing. Like, I was talking to this, to Rohit, um, about this to Rohit, and it's weird to think that this show came out at its time. Like, I look back, and, like, the finale was in 2008, and I remember watching that finale. And you think about all the things that are going on in the world at that time. You know, this is, like, it was genuinely just a different era. And that's a testament to the show because it's timeless it's it's genuinely timeless and it doesn't feel like it belongs to a specific time like maybe in season one you see a little bit of the animation grain by a little bit yeah but yeah like man like you you just don't feel the age of the show for the most part no, and i think that regardless of whether it's 2008 or 2020 the characters the world the theme for sure hold hold up yeah because it's just pure quality. There's pure, no... 100% gold. Pure fire. <laughs> pure fire. Um, what, is, what to y'all is y'all's uh, favorite book and then episode? Or best written book, maybe. I, oh hate, to, I, do, I, I hate to ask best written book because they're all well written and they all fuse into one another so well. But favorite book and episode. The episode where Zuko and Aang go to learn firebending from the original firebenders adds a lot to the world building. Mm -hmm. In telling you how old that world is. Like, right. it wasn't always the Fire Nation. There were civilizations thousands of years before it with their own cultures, with their own styles of firebending. Mm -hmm. So I think that did good for world building. So I think my favorite book was book too because i had some in like in my opinion there was some pacing issues in uh book one and then book three um i wasn't the happiest with the end so book two for me was the most solid but my favorite episode is uh in book three uh, episode eight which is the puppet master and that was the one with hama and where Ooh. bloodbending was introduced um and i just want to quickly talk about like the whole idea of like the creativity with the bending and the entire show is insane because one thing i feel like a lot of shows and movies now like fantasy shows and sci-fi shows um suffer from a problem to suffer from is a lack of creativity they'll build up this power or this this um this sci-fi aspect to it and then they won't use it to its fullest potential they'll, they'll use it at the most surface level way possible yeah. versus in this show they have this basic basic idea of you can bend water air fire and earth but they use it in such insanely creative ways like in for example with airbending there's so many creative ways that are shown with like the running fast and the like the floating ball thing and then being able to fly with the glider there's so many creative things shown with that but also with like the earth stuff how multiple times they were able to like put a suit around themselves of like gems or like stone or whatever that was crazy like they had no reason to do that other than just to show off right and then um and then like to go back to my favorite episode with bloodbending that is so like true like i wasn't even thinking about the fact that you could control the water in someone's body right they'll control someone's blood and then they they talked about that and then they had an episode about that and then it paid off later because it was it was a setup to um later when she hunted down the guy who killed yeah. um 
his mom and everything like that was my favorite episode because it was a genuinely cool episode it was a good episode and it was like for me the peak of creativity with bending right and when i watched it at first it felt a little bit episodic but i'm part part of mm. it was like every single every single episode has had a purpose yeah and part of me is like what, what, this is gonna come back at some point and it does yeah. and and it comes back at when she when K- katara has the most hate inside of her um, yeah even though she at the beginning did not want to use it at all yeah yeah uh and again that comes to like how they layer this thing because if you all look at book two it was episodes before Toph actually metal bends that they mentioned metal yeah. bending. They're like, I can't me- like bend metal. And then I was yeah. watching it for like the third time. I'm like, oh, like just wait, <laughs> you know? So they're, they're layered. They're like, just, they know what they're doing from the very beginning, which is impressive. For me, my, uh, my favorite episode is actually the headband where Aang teaches everybody, everybody to dance. Um, partly because I think that episode is that's the best comedy in of the entire show or some of the best comedy i'd say because it's just fr- through and through hilarious i think the best comedy is also with the cactus juice uh that is i oh, think it is, is such so an hilarious. iconic episode for everyone it, it is so freaking hilarious um but the headband i think it was just a break from this intensity so for me it was like okay mm-hmm. i could breathe a little bit and mm-hmm. it was fun you know him dancing him being himself and, and that, i think they had a message there that like you see the entirety of the season or the series where Aang is trying to impress Katara and he is, he is his most confident when he's himself. And I think that's what they're trying to show kids is like, you don't need to put on this or like not just kids, but like, you know, at any age, really, you don't need to put on this persona to impress anyone. You just need to be yourself and be confident with yourself. And when you are, you know, people will see that and people will take notice. Um, so that's what I, I loved about it. again, you know, weighing fire and sapphire fire and having them come in as like his parents at the, I guess the quote unquote principal's office. It was just good comedy, and I respect good comedy. It was set up very well and written very well. Um, and so that was my favorite episode. And then book, book three, book three is my favorite because it's just you go through do you go through that thing straight. You don't even notice until you're at Sozin's comet. <laughs> like you're like, yeah. oh shit, I'm here. Yeah, so I think in regards to book three's ending, my my question is like, when the show ends, do y'all think there could have been more? Like, do you feel, in some sense, I guess, complete to be dramatic? I think the show finishes where it said it would. Mm-hmm. From the beginning, you know that Aang has to defeat the Fire Lord, and at the end, he defeats the Fire Lord, and so the big arc of the whole show is closed. Now, obviously, that I would have loved to see another season, just because right. I want to see more of the world, what happens after, how Aang and Zuko and the rest of them sh- now shape the world that they inherit. For me, when it ends, I was like, again, it's over. It felt a little bit empty. I think you feel, I mean, even when Avengers Endgame ended where it did, I felt empty, as you do, but you know that they yeah. did their best to bring everything together and they pro- and they ended where they said they would again with that series. I think if you feel like it goes rushed, a little rushed, if it's it ends feeling a little bit too fast, I think that was the point that like the whole, sh- whole show is about urgency and things happening a lot earlier than you want them to. Like the only thing that really goes according to plan is them heading to the Northern Water Tribe. That's the only thing. 
And even then, when they're there, there's this massive attack within a couple of days. If anything, I think, like Rick, you said, they delivered exactly what they said they would deliver, if anything, above and beyond. I've, yeah, I still, finishing for the third time felt empty. But that's, I think, goes to great writing. If you're pissed off at it, um, again, uh, Star Wars, if you're pissed off at it, then <laughs> they, they didn't do their job. That was my thing with book three. Abrar, you said you had a different concern with it. It kind of goes back to the beginning. Aang, like, yeah, so Ricky said that we knew that Aang had to defeat the Fire Lord. But from the beginning, I knew that he wasn't going to kill the Fire Lord because huh. he's a Buddhist. He's a monk. He's, or not, okay, not a Buddhist. Sorry, he's a monk. Um, like, I, I said Buddhist because there's obviously a lot of Yeah, no, they take, they take a lot of Yeah, influence. yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. so it kind of slipped out. I meant he's a monk. He's the whole thing about him and his people were peace even though that was talked about heavily in the last couple episodes of the season from the beginning i had a sense of he's not going to kill the fire lord this this is this show is going to end in a different way and for me like halfway through season two or maybe it was at the end of season two i was uh, sorry book two i was like you know what they're going to come up with a really creative way to end this show it's not going to be just oh he defeats the fire lord that's going to be it because everything they've done so far has been so creative. All, all the episodes, all the stories, everything mm -hmm. has been so creative. My like prediction was that he was going to sort of convert the, um, whether it was Ozai or the people to see more than what they're sort of, more than the propaganda that they're given, right? Mm. That's what I was expecting. And when in the end, it ended up just being a big fight of just a bunch, just a fight scene. I was kind of disappointed. I was like, so you had this whole setup of this whole show set up about creativity and coming up with solutions in creative ways. And in the end, it was just another fight and you just take away his power. There was no real message. There was no real, like, yeah, I get that. Those no, I think there was a message piece. though. I think the message, like, could you say you saw the energy bending part coming? Or no, absolutely not. Yeah, that think... was... I, for me, yeah. I think the message was like, be creative. Like, of course, in that scenario, he, he didn't come up with that. He was just given that by the lion turtle thing. Yeah, but he he, he just but, told him, hey, you can energy bend. That's the most powerful thing you can do. And then he just does it. Everybody told him you have to kill the fire lord. Mm. Roku and the past avatars told him you have to kill the fire lord. Yeah, and because of his values wanted to find another way and he did and exactly there's always another way you don't have to conform to what every, anybody else mm -hmm. wants from you yeah and i agree and i agreed with all that my problem comes with he didn't come up with the creative way he was just told hey you can energy bend and then he he just does it but i, I, I was expecting something more along the lines of he changes the way people think or behave rather than just because ultimately ozai he's still a bad guy whether he has his powers or not he's still thinking bad all the people of the fire nation they're still brainwashed they're still right. they've seen all that propaganda propaganda for years for a hundred years mm -hmm. and yeah sure now zuko is the fire lord who has he changed who has changed but has the have the people changed i think i was ex maybe i was expecting too much from the show i was expecting Aang to find a way to change people Whereas just the ending to me was just a defeat. Right. And I, and I was expecting there to be a peaceful ending. Right. Like I knew I that think, was going to happen. I think that's where, like you said, 
the Fire Nation has gone through a hundred years of propaganda. Mm -hmm. Jane isn't going to float up on his mm -hmm. glider and say the Fire Lord is bad and everyone's going to revolt against the Fire mm -hmm. Lord. I think it had to be, it takes more time. I think that's where you have to look at Zuko's reign as the Fire Lord to see how the Fire Nation changed. It's not going to happen like that. It's mm -hmm. going to take years of reversal of that to get the Fire Lord to accept harmony with the rest of the nation. And I thought that was going to be the setup at the end. But oh. I guess what you're saying about how Zuko is in power now, that could be it. But for me, that wasn't obvious. Mm. Like, for me, it felt like, oh, to defeat the bad guy, you take away his power. That's how I saw it. That's the message I saw. Like, it was peaceful, which is good. But, like, I felt like it was more that they could have right. done with the ending. But, again, that that problem that I have is with the very last, what, three episodes um, or like not even that it was the last one episode if anything um which is like comparatively to the whole show is not a big deal but that's that's the problem i had my problem wasn't like i i'm, I'm glad it ended where it did because if mm. it continued if there were more seasons after that the quality definitely would have dipped because how do you have higher stakes than someone trying to take over the entire world and convert them into one you know like thing so, like, I, in my opinion, I feel like if they tried to continue the seasons, it would have dipped in quality. So I was glad where it ended. I just didn't like the way it ended. Right. I feel like Aang should have came up with a better way and than just he, taking away his power. Here, here's where I'll agree. I, I agree that, like, I, like, to be honest, the fight, the battle between Ozai and Aang wasn't anything like... It was animated well, but, like, yeah, it just felt like a, a bunch of... I don't want to insult Fighting. the medium, but like I was gonna say, I'd give a Transformers analogy, but that's that's like Transformers is just basically trash. just trash, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but it, it just felt like it's just another battle, whereas you know Katara and Zuko versus Azula was a different thing. Like I agreed the stakes didn't feel like there were any stakes, and like you weren't really convinced that oh this is a battle of like um, a mult of like a hundred years or something like that. But I I think here's and I think this is something that I guess we'll agree to disagree on, but I do feel like at least Aang looking for a reason to not go with the status quo or not go with what he's expected um, goes to show his character. And I think, mm -hmm. what, what does that teach us? You know, what does that teach kids yeah. who, like me when I was a kid at that time? What does that tell us when, when we're watching that show? That, you know, there is always a different way. And I think he, like Zuko said at the end when he visits his father in jail, like, you know, you're lucky the Avatar spared your life. Like, Zuko also learn something himself and he's consistently learning something even whenever he tells Katara like you need to kill the guy who killed your parents or killed your yeah. mom um I think he does change the people around him he can't fly up on a glider and tell everybody to change a hundred years of propaganda like his, you have to also look at in our world historically like what that what has that done even in like the world war like Winston Churchill didn't march march into Germany and convince the people otherwise right of course there was you know, a different take on that but I think there's also like what what you expected and what you got and were you disappointed in what you didn't get yeah yeah yeah. i think i think that was my thing i was expecting something greater and with the whole thing about like he didn't conform and he chose peace that was something that i was expecting mm. and i was expecting more and then i think i was disappointed that's why i think the ending was disappointing for me which if you're looking at it from a kid um or even if you're looking at it with someone with no expectations their ending was good um, but one thing I want to say is it's crazy how we're talking about a children's show from 2005 and we're bringing up Winston Churchill and stuff like that. <laughs> like it's making us talk about so much more than like just 
an animated show. That's that's really cool. Well, no, that's why the show is great. It's got yeah that transcends the show and you know it talks about colonialism, imperialism, about oh for sure um, animal cruelty. Like I've seen uh, Avatar quote. I've seen Avatar Kirishi's quote without justice there is no peace at a lot of the black lives matter protests like right. this show has a lot of thematic elements that that apply to normal everyday life here mm. yeah. which is why we're still talking about it 15 years later right was 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 i wrong to think that the fire nation was supposed to represent communism i don't think you're think wrong to think that. okay because I, I was just saying like fire red communism the whole thing about like propaganda all that stuff that's how what i saw it as i saw it as it was a, a conversation around like communism and then versus like peace and then versus like um being a bystander and like I, that's like there was so many different things that this show tackled like now, serious i'm serious assuming bossing say with north korea right one okay i didn't get that i got uh then again, you could also argue brainwashing is in other nations. Oh, you're I think right. I say was I don't know if North they Korea, literally did brainwashing, but for sure some kind of puppet government because yeah. the king was still in power, but the bureaucrats, it's like, hid everything from right. him. Control. Yeah, he did nothing. Yeah, all all the king wanted to do was hang out with this bear. That's all he wanted. The only animal that was not a mission. And that's whole. You remember that one scene where they're like a platypus bear, or like like they have to be yeah. this fusion. I think I was talking again, Rohit yesterday, and he's like, he just finds it funny that, like, they 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 don't expect these animals to just be this specific animal. But then again, where yeah. did they get this fusion from, right? Like, where did yeah. they get the idea <laughs> to name it a platypus bear? Um, we talked about humor and the show. I think the way they approached humor. But I think what about it just, you know, I guess would make all age groups connect with the humor and laugh at it. Like, was it just the animation style or was it, um, was it the, the way they delivered or was it a little bit of both? I think the humor was well thought out mm-hmm. and it was placed appropriately. Right. Like, it wasn't Zuko fighting Azula and him quipping every five seconds, kind of <laughs> ruining the mood, you know? It was... <laughs> The humor was where it was supposed to be, and yeah. I think that's what adds to how good it was. Right. That's rough, buddy. <laughs> what a lie. I felt like there was a good balance of humor, and the type of humor it was, it, it couldn't, it, the type of humor it had, it didn't alienate anybody. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like super edgy humor where, like, okay, little kids and old, really old people couldn't, you know, watch it. But it wasn't super, like you said, quippy and like really childish jokes um, to where, like, our, our, you know, uh, kids our age couldn't laugh at it. I feel like it was just, just good jokes, just like right. nothing too complicated to where little kids couldn't understand. It was just funny. Within five episodes, whenever um, Aang like does that little marble trick with his hands, and that one dude like freaks yeah. out and frauds, <laughs> and then the cabbage guy, and it was I think. Oh man, the cabbage. But guy. I think out of all of them, the best one is still the cactus juice. That is like if any, if there's any type of edgy humor, then Cactus Juice could have been on the border because he gets high off of just drinking that stuff. There's also the one where Sokka's in his tent waiting for Suki. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. How do y'all uh, feel about the live action remake? Let's not talk about it. Let's not talk about it. Um, here's here's what I'll say about it, and here's what the creators said. They, they wait, 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 have you watched it? 
No, I haven't. But no, like, I'm, I'm talking about the live action remix show. Like they're making. Oh, a the show. show! I thought you meant the movie. I no. thought you meant. Oh, the movie. Will, oh wait, yeah. they're making a show. Yeah, they're making a, yeah. a live action show by the same creators. No. Okay. Well, you know when you told me the the Legend of Korra was not as good, but it was by the creators. I have lost a little bit of confidence in them. My concern is that they had said that their hope is it for is that their world would be fully realized, but I think that's just diminishing the quality of animation and what animation can do for um for storytelling. Like a lot also of Also the comedy too. The animation helped with the comedy a lot. Yeah. And I think like you can't like you watch the movie and you see the fighting and the bending and it's been many years since and I have no doubt like technology's better and everything. But you can't capture firebending and airbending and all of that live action as well as you can capture it animated with animation which i want to say the wind was animated very well because if you think about it how do you show wind right yeah. how do you mm. show like a like a, like you're riding on wind you just can't and they were able to animate in a way where everything made sense and you didn't have to think about it i actually saw a tiktok this morning that was saying how the wind was animated just so you as a viewer can see it because you can't yeah. see wind and so thinking about it as fire nation soldiers you're getting you see the sky doing movements but you don't know what's happening and you're just getting pushed around by the wind and you don't see it yeah yeah or or like your fire is getting pushed back or like your the earth the like your piece of rock is just breaking in half that's yeah the way they animated it and again like i said they they got a lot of influence from the fighting style from crouching tiger hidden dragon um and it was just i think brilliantly made and i think i'm hoping they don't lose that with the live action at the same time this just comes to my point in general like you don't need a live action of everything to see if fully realized you just don't because to me airbender itself the animated show is fully realized you know like no and it's like they need to leave it alone i feel like it's going to become like the disney live action remakes like the Mm -hmm. lion king aladdin and all of that how like Oh, like it'll just be the same thing, but real life. Yeah, like I don't know what they could add to it. Like you said, yeah. it's real life. I don't know what they could add to it live action. It, like that'd be great because you get to watch the material all over again, but it's not necessarily the exact same. Yeah. So you do get the feeling of something new. But at the same time, what could they add to it is like, because the animation adds a lot. So you have to make up for that live action. I just hope they don't make it super realistic and dark, like like DC and everything, because there that's just gonna ruin the whole point of Avatar. I feel like these are kids. I think the show is very well balanced. Like it's light and funny, and you know when it needs to be, but yeah. it also knows when to go dark. Like with the Puppet Master episode, yeah, the Daily Poo, like it knows when to be dark when it needs to. Right, but it doesn't have too much of it that it, it's not a kid show anymore. Yeah, and also yeah. like, what does that do for canon too? Right, like, what is canon? What isn't? <laughs> and I don't know if the if what well, USMU Ricky is like if that's like a formal report, but like I'd love for there to be more animated shows. Um, oh, absolutely. That'd be that'd be great if Netflix is pumping out more animated shows. I'm down for that. And and this is something I just want to say. I think this is a commentary on not just Korra, but any uh any medium that kind of i guess or any franchise that kind of reboots thing i 
destruction people think destruction is creativity they think by destroying previously established things the audience is now forced to move on but if anything that's pissing off the audience like destruction for me is lazy you know like what part of what last jedi did and part of what cora did it's it's kind of like you're kind of crapping on something that we've loved like real creativity is is progressing and it's going forward and thinking of something new i loved watching legend of cora because it puts you back in that world you get to see more bending you get to see more of the creatures more conflict with the avatar trying to keep balance with the world and it just it sucks that like it went through the this creative destruction route rather than building onto it yeah And, and back to Abar, you made a comment about the Fire Nation, you thinking it represented uh, communism. Yeah. I know that in the Legend of Korra, the main villains each represent a different ideology. Oh, uh, okay, then never mind then. Fascism, anarchism. Yeah, it could, it could also be fascism. I, like, I was just thinking it was, it was like an enemy. Not, okay, I don't want to say enemy, but like an opposing ideology. That's what, like, the Fire Nation represented. Y'all could bend any element. What would it be? Ooh, if we could bend any element, what would it be? Good question, Ricky. I am leaning towards water. Water, interesting. Yeah. But you. I would do air because air is everywhere. You're never going to be in a position. Oh, unless you're literally in space, but you're never going to be in a position where you don't have access to air. I think fire bending and air bending both have that. Like water bending and earth bending, you do need to be in your element in order to. Yeah. Oh, that actually makes. I have a question about that. It's something I was thinking about before. How is it that with water bending, there has to be water near you, but with fire bending, you can produce literal flames from your hand? I know. Wasn't it in the movie where they kind of changed that and you needed a source of fire to fire bend? Because that would make more logical sense. Like, you need a source of earth, a source of water, a source of air. But with fire, you can just produce lightning from your fingertips. <laughs> I think I think Iroh touches on it and says that you use your own energy mm. to produce that fire. Right. Oh, okay. At least there's some explanation for it. Okay. I was going to say, with a lot of the other, uh, with the other, I guess, two, you need some sort of thing uh, element near you to use it uh but with fire and air you can just always use it well once again our word for the pot is seashell uh where is that seashell from ricky by the way it's a mexican seashell. oh it's a very tiny seashell ricky's right now showing it to us uh well thanks for tuning in thanks for listening and if you haven't hopped on airbender and you made it this far um well we hope we didn't spoil it for you uh, and if you we totally spoiled it, we totally spoiled it. Yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's over. Ozai dies. Actually, no, he doesn't. Never mind. No, but Ozai. He dies at some point. He does. He does at some point. Yeah. And another thing is also go check out the Avatar comics. They're written by one of the creators, and they're actually pretty good. I might order one, except they're they're graphic novels and they're rather expensive. But um, thanks for joining me, y'all. And um, any any last words for the pod? I already gave a word. I think it's a seashell. No, no, I'm like any like <laughs> like notes or like, okay, stay healthy and, and collect your seashells. There stay we healthy. Go. Wear a face mask. Outside. Yeah, wear a face mask outside. There we go. Yeah.